So there needs to be a culture of care, a culture where there's not where blame is less prevalent, a place where people feel they can try and fail and not be made to feel that they're inferior and a place that's more inclusive of the many different people that work within an organisation. But also getting clarity on what the organisation stands for, what its values are, and what its mission statement and purpose-driven orientation is, so that that can be communicated down through the organisation to employees, so that they can also join in the journey. They're also on the buzz as your company drives towards its destination, its destination would hopefully be something that improves the world, that makes a difference, that solves a significant problem that we face. And it's about helping to align that vision, making sure it's communicated throughout the company. Because as I'm sure you're aware, Richard, words matter, not just to clients and customers from a marketing perspective, but how you speak to your employee yeah. helps them feel that they are appreciated and helps them feel that they have the autonomy to design and create and build things themselves that can benefit the company. Heroes are an inspiring group of people. Every one of them from the larger than life comic book heroes you see on the big silver screen, the everyday heroes that let us live the privileged lives we do. Every hero has a story to tell. From the doctor saving lives at your local hospital, the war veteran down the street who risked his life for our freedom, to the police officers and the firefighters who risk their safety to ensure ours. Every hero is special and every story worth telling. But there is one class of heroes that I think is often ignored. The entrepreneur, the creator, the producer. The ones who look at the problems in this world and think to themselves, you know what? I can fix that. I can help people. I can make a difference. Then they go out and do exactly that by creating a new product or introducing a new service. Some go on to change the world. Others make a world of difference to their customers. Welcome to The Hero Show. Join us as we pull back the masks on the world's finest heropreneurs and learn the secrets to their powers, their success, and their influence. So you can use those secrets to attract more sales, make more money, and experience more freedom in your business. I'm your host, Richard Matthews, and we are on in three, two, one. Hello and welcome back to The Hero Show. My name is Richard Matthews, and today I have the pleasure of having Lee Chambers on the line. Lee, are you there? Yeah, I'm here, Richard. Awesome. And I was just talking before we started the recording, you're coming to us out of Preston in the UK, is that right? Yeah, quite away from yourself, but it's uh, not, not too far away in the small world we're living today. Yeah, yeah. And for those of you who've been following along with uh, our travels, we are still in southern Florida or central Florida because of the uh, COVID stuff. Um, we haven't moved much in the last couple of months, so we're still there enjoying our little piece of paradise. But to get started, I want to go ahead and introduce Lee to you before we uh, get into his story so you guys who don't know him get a little bit of a, a better idea of who he is. So Lee Chambers is a well, well-being consultant and founder of Essentialized Workplace Wellbeing. Um, and you're a well-being cons um, consultant, workshop facilitator, and sleep specialist, which I find really fascinating. And you've spent the last 10 years discovering and working in a variety of fields, including local government, corporate organization, elite sports, and now you've brought your expertise and qualifications with the aim to impact the well-being of thousands of individuals and businesses through organizational well-being advancement while looking to promote conscious and purpose-led leadership internally in those companies. So, with that introduction, Lee, why don't you start off with telling us what it is that you do? What's your, what are you known for today? Um, and you know, what, how do you help people? Yeah, so what I'm known for is someone who brings multiple, multidisciplinary, visionary ideas to companies. So I work with small to medium-sized enterprises, so generally between 50 to 500 employees. And I go in there 
really on the premise of increasing employee well-being with the benefits that come from that of increased motivation, increased morale, higher productivity and creativity, reduced sickness, reduced conflict in the workplace, reduced mistakes, and better workplace retention and staff turnover rates. So in many ways, it's return on investment is getting more from the staff that you have. But yeah. starting to nudge the organisational culture to actually consciously see the employees as people who can be developed, as people who can grow, as people who can be looked after and encouraged to become more, to become their own little leaders within that business and become someone that aligns with the company's vision and drives that forward with the management and the leadership. So I create a series of workshops that interlink all these elements. So bringing that well-being awareness through by talking about healthy eating, sleep, movement, mindset and habits, but helping embed that to show that really, if you're going to bring well-being advancement into a company, then it also needs to be bred organically internally. So there needs to be a culture of care, a culture where there's not where the blame is less prevalent, a place where people feel they can try and fail and not be made to feel that they're inferior and a place that's more inclusive of the many different people that work within an organisation. But also getting clarity on what the organisation stands for, what its values are and what its mission statement and purpose-driven orientation is so that that can be communicated down through the organisation to employees so that they can also join in the journey. They're also on the buzz as your company drives towards its destination. Its destination would hopefully be something that improves the world, that makes a difference, that solves a significant problem that they face. And it's about helping to align that vision, making sure it's communicated throughout the company because as I'm sure you're aware, Richard, words matter, not just to clients and customers from a marketing perspective, but how you speak to your employees helps them feel that they are appreciated and helps them feel that they have the autonomy to design and create and build things themselves that can benefit the company. So in many ways, that's what I do through series of workshops, through training and through organisational development creations of systems and processes that look to measure well-being so it's not just the fluffy fruit bowls and fancy yoga sessions but actually looking how we can build systems that embed within the business so that when I'm gone onto the next business to make a difference it continues to grow there through community through strategy that's really awesome, man. It seems like it's it's taking that old 20th century idea that workers are cogs in a machine to realizing that workers are human beings that are helping to drive the human causes that businesses are built for, right? Exactly. Uh, yeah, so that's a, that's a really cool and powerful message you have. Um, so we'll get into a little bit more of the specifics of that as we get further into the interview, but I want to find out how you got started in this business, your origin story, right? We talk on this show all the time. Every hero has an origin story. It's where you started to realize that you were different, that maybe you had superpowers and maybe you could use them to help other people. So how did you become an entrepreneur? And then more specifically, how did you become an entrepreneur working in the well-being space? So it's quite an interesting journey. And in a similar way to yourself, I had that initial upbringing where my parents were, they worked very hard 
we had the basics, we had food on the table, a roof over our heads. But I was always that, you know, that disruptive child who was constantly asking my mum, do you need this? Do you need this? Because then I would, I would gather them up, take a picnic blanket out to the end of the street and put them all on and try to sell them to passers-by. And lots of little old ladies would come nice. by and be like, oh, this cute little boy. And then I'd try to manage to convince them to uh, part with some money for something they probably didn't even want. And then that was always kind of like, I was always looking and thinking, I quite like business and statistics and working with things. And in a similar way, again, I then set up an Amiga video game business, mail ordering discs around the world. And I was only 12. And I was like, yeah, I was in my element. It just felt like building something. And I love structures and that kind of thing. So it really resonated with me. I did that for a few years and then started to use the funds from that to sell. I had a mobile tuck shop at school. So a mobile sweet shop that I used to take around and sell stuff until school outlawed me because they said, you know, you can't sell, <laughs> can't sell, you can't sell food on the premises without a license. And also you seem to be coming into school. Yeah, with, I've been there. <laughs> yeah. Literally carrying, you're starting to forget your PE kit because you're carrying all your stock around and you, <laughs> you're not bringing what you need for school. Um, so that kind of, that, that was what I was like as a child. And I was, I'm not neurotypical. I'm always a bit out there and a bit on the edge. Uh, but as I kind of went for education, I was the first one in my family to go to university. And that was a big thing that my parents had always wanted because no one else in the family had been and they wanted me to take a more traditional path and try and set a career in place. And I did international business psychology at university, which in some ways was good because it allowed me to take a lot of different units and a lot of different aspects. So I did geopolitics, organisational psychology, history of business, so a lot of different things, and that stopped me from getting bored because if I'd have just done business, I'd have probably been bored to tears. But what that actually led to me is in the third year, I wanted I wanted to set up a business, and I'd written up this business plan and cash flow forecast and you know a value proposition for the idea of going working and building a business in the video game fulfillment industry. So working again to wholesale games around the country. And I felt that that's something that I could facilitate. I could organize the logistics and I could almost in some ways use the very early stages of algorithms to build a process where I could find where I could get the margins and move them around. And I put this business plan in front of a, uh, I basically had a mentor at the time and he's a well-known businessman in a local city close to me, you know, in his 50s, well-respected a number of different organizations he'd run over the time. And what unfortunately happened was he, I put it to him and he said, you know what, Lee, this is a great idea. Probably not for you. He said, you're young, you're diverse, you've got a bit of an attitude problem. And this industry is controlled by 50-year-old white men out, out in these tall ivory buildings in Europe. And if you ever get to go and pitch to them, they're going to look at you and think, hmm, he's disruptive, he's not going to fame. And he says, probably not going to, you're going to struggle to break through into these industries in the way that you want. So what you should probably do is look at the, at the coding, at the developing. That's much more diverse, that's much younger, much more dynamic. You probably fit in there. So what that actually did is it put a little bit of, a, it put a little bit of water on my fire and made me think, hmm, yeah, 
maybe he's right because it's coming from it came from his heart didn't come from a place of trying to put me down but it came from a place of wanting to give heartfelt advice but as a young 20 year old male you're just like oh well he's respected Hmm, maybe he's right so I then finished my degree and graduated and decided and I really had to think what I wanted to do and decided that I was going to go and be a financial advisor it worked with my need for statistics and my want to help people and if I could achieve, you know, get through, become qualified and help people with the financial well-being, well, I thought, you know what, that'd be quite good. So I went into that and that was 2007. So as you can imagine, I get onto a graduate scheme with a national bank and start training. And six months in, they say, sorry, we can't pay for your train anymore. The economic crash has caused us to lose lots of money and we can't pay for you. And I was like, oh, yeah. Um, a week later, I got made redundant. So that was pretty much that. And I was like, okay, wow, that's um, that's gonna that's that's a challenge. I suddenly lost my job and lost my path of what I wanted to do. But then I thought, you know what? This is this is my opportunity, isn't it? If I'm gonna set up a business, then that's my career, and I can control that myself. And in fact, if I've lost my professional qualifications, then I'm gonna go and do something that I pick and I pay for. Then no one can tell me that I can't study. So. I then went back into the video game idea, set it up, and all of a sudden, after 12 months, I was up to six figures, and I was able to actually go out and buy my first house, and I was like, whoa, that is, it's just worked. Why didn't I just, why didn't I just do it? But sometimes you need that challenge, and those six months grafted in corporate, they taught me quite a lot about resilience, about how to navigate corporations, so I don't actually look back and think, mm, that wasn't good. But I actually look back and thought, that actually hardened me to the reality of being an entrepreneur. So I actually needed that period. And what I actually did is I went back working, like so many people do. So running a business while actually working a job. But I worked within local government, which is always quite easy and relatively easy going. And that allowed me the ability to start training in performance nutrition, in strength and conditioning coaching. And that all kind of led to me then working in elite sport. So I got to see the cutting edge of science and experimentation, technology that was used, and how performance is gained at a really small level because everyone's already so far advanced. But also made me think that if that technology was used and that time and money was spent on ordinary people, it'd make a massive difference. And then all of a sudden, over the course of a week, I became unwell. My joints were locked in place and I was unable to walk, unable to look after myself. And that changed my worldview completely. Um, and, you know, so you went from there to learning how to apply those things to yourself and then started this business? Yeah. So, I mean, that was really that turning point. Like I'd gone through and thought the video game business was probably a great vehicle but not the most fulfilling position i was fulfilling video games to people who wanted to buy them but was i really making a difference to the world and having become unwell and being stuck in the hospital bed at first it was a big shock my wife was six months pregnant my son was 18 months old and suddenly i'd gone from being able to do whatever i wanted to having to rely on everyone else to even feed me and show me and it was 
it was scary. I mean, in that, in that initial week, I was in shock. And then I was in grief for my mobility. But in the second week, I started to realize, actually, suddenly, I'm still able to run this video game business from, from my hospital bed with one hand. And if I hadn't have built it that way, then I wouldn't have been able to do that. In fact, if I had a physical job, I'd now be on sick pay and be in financial crisis. And I started to think, I spent 29 years walking around this planet, never once been grateful for being able to walk. And suddenly I've got all these people coming, showering me, yeah. looking after me, bringing me things. And I've not been really that grateful for them either. They've been on my journey all this time and I've never really thought that much. And then I was like, I've grown up in the Western world, I've had free education, free healthcare, freedom to set up a business, numerous different opportunities through education and work. And all this time, I've never been hungry, never not had a roof over my head. And I thought to myself, why should I be sad about losing the ability to walk? In fact, I should be looking to see I've got the opportunities to relearn. And that's what I started to do. So after a month in hospital, I got sent home. I started walking rehab and then went into intensive physio. And my daughter was born not long after. I came out of hospital and I was like, by the time she's walking, I'm going to be walking too. That's my like power of why. That's the reason to get up in those mornings when I'm in agony and my joints are stiff, to do those exercises, to do those stretches, to push on. And I just knew that I had to be resilient and have that proactive mindset, take ownership of this disease and attack it as much as it's attacking me. And just going through that, and I started to realize, actually, if I can get through this, and after 11 months, I was back on my feet and walked a mile unaided. And that was a massive moment because my daughter then walked a few weeks after. And I just thought to myself, if I can bring myself from that hospital bed back up onto my feet, and I've got all this experience through local government, elite sport, all these qualifications, why don't I use my entrepreneurial spirit to bring something to the world that helps people? That helps people who are going through what I've gone through and to just make workplaces better, a better place to be where people go in and come out as well as they went in to the office. And that really all started this process of building Essentialize Up to deliver coaching for individuals who want to grow as much as the business is growing and for companies who actually want to start to align with the fact that well employees equals employees who care employees who work, employees who bring more to the table and actually come into work happy and spread that happiness in work and then when they go home in the relationships. Absolutely. And that's a, it's a really fascinating story that covers you know, a lot of ups and downs over the years. So what, if you don't mind my asking, what, what caused the, the joint lockups that you had to overcome? Yeah, so it was my immune system was attacking the connective tissue inside my joints so it attacked both my knees, my shoulder, and my wrist. And it attacked them so bad that it effectively misplaced the ligaments, the tendons, and parts of the joints. They were the size of, you know, American footballs. And, and you, you have all of that sort of, uh, I guess, cured or fixed at this point in your life? Um, so it's a chronic disease that I live with every day. However, over the past four years, I've spent a lot of time optimizing my sleep, my nutrition, my movement, my mindset, 
experimenting with all these things to find out exactly what works for me and my condition and what gives me the most energy and the most flexibility with my joints. So after years of testing, bringing stuff in, taking stuff out, experimenting here, experimenting there, finding where the boundaries were, finding what energized me, what I could tolerate, what drained me. I'm about to come off medication. And that next next week is my last dose. And with, with the work of my consultant, I'll be controlling it by lifestyle alone, which is massive. Because if I feel if I can go through that journey, and so can other people. And if I can do that to come off medication, which is toxic and has been dampening my immune system all these years, then what can the same a similar process do for someone who's fit and well? It could propel them like a rocket towards the potential. Yeah, that's uh, that's an incredible story. And um, as someone who's like, I've just recently got to this point in my business where I have employees, and I've been thinking through things like how do I make our workplace right and we have a virtual team so they're all over the country we don't come into a central office or anything um and you know how do we do things that encourage not just because not not just you do good work for me but that our company and working for our company actually improves your life right improves you know helps you achieve your goals and helps you get where you want to go right because we can i think we can do both right we can do good work for our clients and do good work as for as our business and we can improve the lives of our employees um and improve my life and you know our and like do that together um so it's definitely something that's been on top of my mind and now a quick word from our show's sponsor hey there fellow podcaster having a weekly audio and video show on all the major online networks that builds your brand creates fame and drives sales for your business doesn't have to be hard I know it feels that way because you've tried managing your show internally and realize how resource intensive it can be. You felt the pain of pouring eight to 10 hours of work into just getting one hour of content published and promoted all over the place. You see the drain on your resources, but you do it anyways because you know how powerful it is. Heck, you've probably even tried some of those automated solutions and ended up with stuff that makes your brand look cheesy and cheap. That's not helping grow your business. Don't give up though. The struggle ends now. Introducing Push Button Podcasts, a done-for-you service that will help you get your show out every single week without you lifting a finger after you've pushed that stop record button. We handle everything else, uploading, editing, transcribing, writing, research, graphics, publication, and promotion, all done by real humans who know, understand, and care about your brand almost as much as you do. Empowered by our own proprietary technology, our team will let you get back to doing what you love while we handle the rest. Check us out at pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero for 10% off the lifetime of your service with us and see the power of having an audio and video podcast growing and driving micro celebrity status and business in your niche without you having to lift more than a finger to push that stop record button. Again, that's pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero. See you there. You're listening to The Hero Show, unlocking the power of influence and success. Um, and I guess what I, I want to I get into a little bit of how you actually do that. And I think the next question will probably be really helpful for that. Um, and that's, you know, talking about your superpowers, right? And we say every superhero has their superpowers. This is what you do or what you build or what you offer this world that really helps solve problems for people, the things you use to slay the world's villains, so to speak. And the way I've been framing this is like, if you look at all the things, the skills and stuff that you've built over the years, you probably have one skill or one zone of genius, so to speak, that really, in, um, you know, energizes the rest, right? Your zone of genius, your superpower. What is that for you? 
Yeah, so I'd say it's the superpower of interconnection. So a big thing about my delivery is I fully appreciate that I could be a master in one area and in isolation know everything there is to know. However, like in life and in business, things are so interconnected. It's actually more powerful if you step back and look at things across a whole board of levels. So one of the big things that I do is instead of being like big pharma and saying, right, we've got this one symptom that we want to obliterate, that's going to cause 10 side effects because the body is such an interconnected system. It's to actually yeah. look at business and its processes and look how well-being and consciousness can be embedded within all those processes. So it then grows organically. So it's, it's that wide view. And when we're doing health awareness events, we don't just go in and say about, oh, they're healthy eating this and healthy eating that. We actually say, well, you need to sleep well. And if you sleep well, you'll eat better. And if you eat better, you'll move more. And if you move more, you'll have more clarity of mind. And if you have more clarity of mind, you'll be less anxious. And if you're less anxious, you'll sleep better. And if you sleep better, you'll feel like exercising more. If you exercise better, you'll want to nourish your body with more money. And what you find is just it's massively interconnected and cyclical. So it's about actually helping people remove that tunnel vision view of trying to solve one problem and actually opening a problem up and seeing that as multiple facets in that problem. But it's almost like a superhero power would be like a magnifying glass that turns little problems and actually shows a web of solution. And I think that's kind of like something that I've taken from my own kind of philosophy, really, that I've done a lot of different qualifications across a lot of different fields. And I've decided not to go so deep into one field that I suddenly take the basics for granted. Because as soon as you start taking the basics for granted and look at the really most complex problems, it becomes slightly less actionable for delivery to your everyday person. And as soon as you take those basics for granted, you, you lose that acuity for the fact that the karate master practices basics every day. Every single day, he's practicing those basics. And it's the basics and the fundamentals that actually drive most of the performance, most of the well-being, most of the advancement, and when we kind of look at problems becoming more complex, it requires that wider view, that ability to step back in third person and almost look at it like you're an actor in a play and just realise that nothing, including you, exists in a vacuum where it's just one isolated thing that you can look at and solve because it's never the case. Everything is interconnected. And in so many ways, that is like kind of my business philosophy to help people realize that the words they use with their employees will make their employees feel a certain way. How the values are communicated will do the same thing. If you don't act in line with those values, your employees will feel that you're not congruent. And it's just looking at there's so many aspects towards conscious leadership and well-being in organizations. And it's not as simple as bring a well-being practitioner in, have some, build some awareness, goes out again. That's an isolated approach. It needs to be embedded internally. It needs to be able to grow internally. Communities need to be forged. And that helps then if someone comes in externally for the benefits to be amplified. And that really is my superpower. The world is interconnected. We are interconnected.
Absolutely. So, so you're talking, there's a lot of, there's a lot of meat there, but things like, like you, so if I'm understanding correctly, you're saying the business, like all the things that happen in the business to make profits, right. And to do good things in the world are going to be like on a foundational level, it's all of the basics of like running a good business, right? So having good communication, having good systems and processes. And then you're saying to include having employees that are healthy and well and growing needs to be sort of part of that foundational level of building a solid business. Yes. And it's absolutely, it's, it's integrated into all processes. So all the way from marketing to finance to human resource, every aspects has to be that synergistic business is almost like a science entrepreneurialism is business science and sometimes it's a bit like a business dance where you try yeah. to so just <laughs> out of curiosity then do you have any like a concrete example about how you integrate well-being into for instance a marketing department um so again if you go towards a marketing marketing department and you're looking because some of the bigger businesses are quite siloed. So each individual department is quite disconnected from the others. Really, it's about taking yeah. an approach and finding out, firstly, the top-level managers in that marketing department because their philosophy is being you know, pressed down to, to the department. So there's, it's difficult for me to go in and, and start doing well-being with the employees if the managers are, say, for example, quite autocratic, very much telling the workers what to do, not giving them the capacity and the autonomy to deliver and be created themselves. If they're just given deadline project, right, get it done. If you need anything, come and speak to me. Well, that doesn't promote that kind of coaching, developmental style of conscious management that we need to bring for well-being to be present. Because in so many ways in that department, the things that bring that initial fundamental level of well-being are the staff feeling they have the autonomy to make decisions and choices, that they feel that the management inspires a level of hope in them for the future, that they can develop and become better themselves, even possibly future leaders within their own, you know, in, in their own sphere of influence. But also the appreciation for the work that they do. And with those three simple factors, you can then build on top of that. And if you don't have that, if there's not trust in the management, if management is almost keeping a hero-style approach where the, the effectively wants to be the hero that saves the day for the department when things go wrong, or when an employee comes and says, how do you do this? How do you do this? Instead of gradually empowering the employee to start to work the, on their own solutions, they actually solve it so that they can say, look, I, I've saved the day. And that kind of approach, it suppresses people from being able to regenerate the well-being and grow and develop as employees. So if the management is like that, it really starts with working on the management, on the communication, on how they treat their employees and, and opening up their eyes to how they can develop the department to work without them having to constantly give out orders and march around looking. Yeah. So, we, yep. I see. So that's, so if I'm, if I'm understanding right, you're not, you're not talking specifically in that case of like 
physical health, you're talking about like the, the mental communicative health of the department and learning how to make that have, you know, a, a healthy synergy, right? That's actually going to lift up the employees. Yeah, because in, in many ways, we then deliver like mental and physical health awareness. But the responsibility of the employees, if they don't feel on that base level that they are have been given the appreciation and autonomy and work, they're highly unlikely to take the responsibility for their own healthy behaviours because there's very little incentive if they don't feel valued at work. If they feel valued at work, they start taking responsibility for their own work projects. They start taking more responsibility for their own development. And then that bleeds over into when you build in physical and mental health awareness, they start to take more responsibility for that as well. Because at the end of the day, it's not an organization's responsibility to tell people to go to bed at night at a certain time. That's an employee's responsibility. And yet the culture of the organization directly impacts and affects how health awareness and health implementation can be input. So it's almost like trying to trying to do something when, when there's not the absorbency there for it. You don't get mm-hmm. it ready if people are not in a, in a, working in a place that feels congruent. It's like the leadership saying to the employees, we value your time, we really value you, but then expecting them to work overtime and emailing them at midnight, expecting them to you know, reply. It's not congruent behaviour. It needs to be congruent before you can then build. It's like having, having dodgy foundations then trying to build health behaviours on top of those foundations just falls apart it doesn't work absolutely um yeah and i i i really uh, I, that's a fascinating discussion and i've never really heard it discussed that way right like the you know the idea that generally it's that you know once the employee leaves they're not my responsibility anymore um but if i'm hearing you correctly you're saying the way that we treat our people at our workplace is going to impact their health outside of the workplace right so we should have a high level of you know care for or how what they do at work is going to impact their life outside of work. Yeah, and when you build that kind of culture, employees start caring for each other as well. So Absolutely. Yeah, and that, that amplifies out so they go home happier and care more in their own relationships. They're driving on the road home and the more the more kind to other road users. It's almost like a strange way of spreading happiness across the world. And it's a uh, it's a ripple effect, right? And it's so like it's not just not just the uh, the ripple effect of your the work that you do as a company, but the uh, impact that you you have on your employees and that they have on the world. I love it. Tune in next week for part two of this episode.